0: September is National Suicide Awareness Month, and some of our biggest helpers are hurting. Over 22 service members take their own lives a day. And according to the Department of Veteran Affairs, veterans are twice as likely as civilians to die at their own hands. Why is this? And more important, what's being done to stop it? During the month of September, the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast is honored to be showcasing some of the dedicated men and women who are fighting to keep veterans alive. We'll be telling their stories of struggle and heartbreak, but also stories of healing and resilience. We can't help anyone if we're not talking about the problem. By opening a dialogue and having authentic conversations surrounding the challenges and stigma, solutions and resources appear. As a civilian, I can never really truly know the horrors and inner demons these brave men and women face. But by listening to their powerful stories, I now have an understanding, a glimpse of their challenges, and have already applied some of this knowledge to my professional life. The Conversations Around Veteran Suicide series aims to educate and provide resources for both military and civilian alike in hopes to end the stigma and this devastating cycle. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it with my new friends. If you or someone you know may be thinking of suicide, please contact the Veterans Crisis Call Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press one. You can text 838255. Just remember, you are not alone. Today, we are joined by William Felty, a United States Marine Corps veteran who's working tirelessly on helping improve conditions for our veterans and our youth, as well as spearheading a Veterans Crisis Outreach Initiative. As well as Sarah Correll. Sarah is a civilian who's a mom, and she's also been personally touched by suicide. She's been working with William and dedicating her time to prevent veteran suicide by helping veterans get their stories out, and is the amazing woman that thought, and helped create this series. Thank you both so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's
1: good to be here, Erin.
2: Very good to be here. Thank you for what you're doing, and thanks for the invitation.
0: Yes. So William, we're gonna start off with you. Tell us briefly about yourself and your background.
2: Yeah, so I am a Marine Corps veteran, served from 2003 to 2007, and I'm very active in our military and veteran community here in San Diego. I am a husband to Vian. Um, I have a dog, Missy, and I love to get out and go hiking and just enjoy some outdoor therapy with the both of them, including friends, fellow vets, non-vets, and anybody that can keep up.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And Sarah, it's your turn. Tell us a little bit about yourself, too. I've been married 28 years to my husband, John. I have four boys. They are ages 14 to 24. And they. my family is my heart. I love them so much. I love spending time with them, love spending time with my friends. I do a lot of things uh, that have to do with kids. Like We have a youth group at, over at our house. We're very involved with that just because I think it's really important that kids be connected. and That's a big focus for me and for our family. We get other families together and we'll go and you know feed the poor, do something in the community. Again, it's just really staying connected, staying connected to other families and the kids. I also serve as co-chair with William. We have a community prevention and safety alliance group here in our community, and it's just another way that we're trying to help protect our youth. In our community. And it's, it's actually, it's for all youth, but it's a action group that is uh, connected to the San Diego Military Family Coalition. So that's one of the ways that I started working with William. And then that kind of grew into this veterans crisis outreach initiative. So that's how we ended up kind of growing things also with our friend Joe who will be telling his story a little bit later. The thing that I feel very passionate about is again the power of a story. I I think when people are traumatized or if there's anything that happens to us that makes us want to feel or you know alone or want to isolate, hearing other people's stories can normalize that and even empower and encourage us to reach out or connect and that's my hope with this series that we can connect to those that have really gone through a lot that are traumatized that don't have the language they don't have the understanding to to know what's going on in them so again i'm i'm so grateful to be able to do this aaron and grateful to be able to team up with william and the other people on this podcast series so thank you
0: And thank you, Sarah, for organizing this and getting it together because it wouldn't have been possible without you and all of the amazing people that we're going to be talking with this month. So William, tell us a little bit more about the reality of veteran suicide. What do we not know about it?
2: First off, I'd like to say as a veteran, my heart goes out to service members, veterans, and their families and the communities that are affected by veteran suicide when someone takes their own life it's not because they're in the best state of their life it's oftentimes in a situation where they might feel like there's no other solution and when I'm on social media and I see a fellow vet reaching out for help saying hey I don't know if tonight's gonna be my last night or not hope somebody reaches out and I don't see anybody responding. I feel compelled to say something and do something. And so I have worked really hard to build a network of friends, fellow vets, family members like Sarah and Joe to help do something about people who are struggling alone suffering in silence, no longer having to do it in silence, and no longer having to do it alone. And when it comes to veteran related suicide, we have over 22 million vets in the US. In San Diego County we have over a quarter of a million residents who call themselves veterans. So every day 20 plus veterans on average take their life and I've taken it on as my mission to ensure that before those vets get to that place, that they might have somebody that would be willing to talk with them and or reach out with them so that they know they're not alone, first of all. And second of all, that if they choose, there is way out. There is some hope and there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And so I literally stay up late at night on social media. I make phone calls. I have lunches with all my veteran friends in my network um, on a regular basis, I try to check in on them, especially around birthdays and stuff, just to say hi and just to be there for one another. There's a thing in the, in the military we call battle buddies. When you're out there in, in combat, when you're out there in battle, if you will, or even in training, you know, you have a buddy that you're trusting. You have a buddy that has your back. And so I try to be there for my fellow battle buddy the same way I would hope somebody would be there for me you know because I'm not perfect. I've suffered and I've got challenges too. But I figured if I've got roof over my head, clothes on my back, food in my belly, then I'm okay enough to be able to help another veteran, help another family member, another community member. And so I go and do what I do. I'm very active, I volunteer. But getting back to the topic of veteran related suicide. We see that more middle-aged males, predominantly Caucasian males, take their own life and all too often over 60% of those that complete suicide and die by suicide actually use a firearm to do so. And more female veterans compared to non-female veterans are likely to take their own life and complete suicide. And female veterans are actually more likely to use firearms to take their own life than non-veteran. Now, I don't know why that is, but we do know that. We have some statistics that help show us that and track that um, through a variety of ways, through the VA and coroner's reports and stuff. Those veterans, those 20-plus veterans on average that take their life every day, out of those deaths, Only six out of 20 are actually engaged in VA health care services and or benefit services. So where are the other 14? Where are they engaged? How are they plugged into the community? And let's not forget, not everyone who serves in the military retires. Many of our veterans only serve for four, six, eight, ten or twelve years not all of them retire and so like me serving four years I'm a veteran I served and I actually deployed to Iraq in 2006 and many of us continue to endure some of the challenges related to our service and learning how to manage that stuff can be really difficult and learning how to reintegrate into society can be really difficult and so I've like I said made it my mission to be there for others be there for my fellow vets, build a network, help to show them that there are jobs available and help point them in the right direction. And, and so that's, that's some of the stuff that's going on. And many veterans who get out of service end up back near their, their home of you know birth or where they were raised. And some of those areas are pretty rural. And some veterans have to drive two plus hours, three plus hours to the nearest VA hospital so, if you're trying to hold down a job or raise a family, how are you supposed to take two or four or five hours out of your day just to go to a mental health appointment for counseling or to get your meds renewed or pick up your meds or whatever? The VA's gotten better with medication delivery systems through the mail, but it's not perfect. And they have the crisis line, but that's not perfect because a lot of veterans I know won't reach out for help. The only time they talk about it is when somebody reaches out and talks with them and so instead of waiting for those 20 plus veterans a day to reach out to us Sarah and Joe and I want to reach out to them that's what we want to do and we want to be there for them and we want to share our story but we also want to hear theirs and we want to see how we can collaborate with them how we can work together with them to try to bring about change to instill some hope to instill some prosperity and some happiness but also to show them they're not alone, because we aren't alone. We got seven billion plus people on this earth. We're not alone. There's a lot of people out there. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox now.
0: No, I love it because that is one of my soapboxes too, is that you are not alone as much as you feel like you are. There's always somebody who has a similar situation or a similar outlook that Mm -hmm. resonates So you just have to, to work to find those people is the hard part.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's why I build the network so that I can, I can meet people that are like minded who want to be there for others. You know, whether they're veteran or not, it's not the point. The point is just to be there for others. We all put our britches on one leg at a time, damn it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And so Sarah, let's talk about your perspective as a civilian starting to work with military and veterans. What have you learned so far?
1: it is really interesting how i even got to this point because i don't have a background in the military i don't have really anybody in my family i had an uncle i think who served a little bit as a doctor in in at, in vietnam so i really don't have a lot of connection or i didn't you know basically i i you know, grew up. I played violin. Actually, went to college I'm going to be a kindergarten teacher. Ended up being very involved in my church, which was very people-oriented, very practical faith. I developed just a very strong anchor, you know, of faith, um, close friendships, and did a lot of mentoring. We got mentored. 2003, though, that's when I lost my own dad by suicide. That changed my life. That is, you know, for anybody who is a survivor of suicide, it's a very complicated, very complicated grief. I, I was different. I've, I've, I'm a different person now. I think it, it opened my eyes to suffering even more in a way that I never saw before. And it took me a long time to get through the confusion. I still functioned. I had three young boys and I ended up getting pregnant with my fourth so i had to compartmentalize a lot so i would feel the loneliness at night when everything was quiet and i had to kind of learn my new normal but then i had to you know be the best mom i could during the day i wanted i wanted to be a great mom for my kids for my family what it did though there was a lot of things that didn't make sense to me anymore and i had to find my new normal i bring this up only because that opened the door to where I'm at now. Over the years, you know, I was busy raising my kids, but there is definitely a strong empathy that grew in me. About four years ago, I went back to school because I wanted to do something to actually be some kind of profession. Everything that I did was serving, but I didn't have anything legitimate, so to speak. So I went back to school. And in one of my classes and ended up going back into school uh, for counseling, didn't want to do the MFT route, because that was probably going to be, you know, many years. And so somebody suggested that I go into drug and alcohol counseling to see if I um, liked counseling. In that time, I ended up sitting next to Joe, who's going to be on another podcast telling his story. And we were talking, I was telling him, you know, hey, you should come and go to this mental health facility to do your practicum. You know, you can practice counseling there. He goes, oh, I was inpatient there. And little did I know that that one sentence would change my life, really my life's direction. And that ended up with a full kind of ball rolling, eye opening time where I I didn't understand what was happening to our military. So this hopelessness, I had everything I needed to be resilient. You know, I, I, I had that anchor. I had the relationships, the stability, the faith, the, I had what I needed. I, I heard Joe's story. I, at that time was in a military, I was in a, a mental health facility counseling, and that's where I met William actually, and shadowed him in the military wing. And then had a group in the intensive outpatient where there was two Navy guys in that group. And they were also sharing just the hardship of what they were going through transitioning. So, I mean, there's so much that I could talk about. But I think the thing that hit me so strongly is I I know what it feels like to have a life situation where you are traumatized. But I have never been suicidal. I've never had suicidal ideation. And yet what I was seeing was that these these veterans, they, they would get out of the military with no real prepping and transition. They weren't prepped. They have the boot camp going in to prep them for the military to be a fine oiled machine. But there's no prepping to decompress, to understand what they've gone through, to prepare them for this new life that they're going to have, and know what to do with things that will come up from all the things that they've experienced. I didn't understand that till I got into counseling, until I, till I got to be friends with Joe and Julie and William. And that really compelled me. That is something I couldn't ignore. Like, oh my gosh, we are sending people to war. 18 years old. And they are having to face you know, I've got these boys, you know, I imagine that like, Oh, my gosh, you know, this one being sent out, having to face face things in Afghanistan coming back, and then not being prepped in what to do to handle everything that they've gone through. So, you know, I, I asked Joe, I said, Hey, Joe, once you come over, you and your wife come over and tell your, your story to my family. And then it escalated, like, Joe, why don't you come over and tell your story to my neighbors? And, you know, I live in a neighborhood next to the largest off-housing, off-base housing, off housing in the world. And I think I'm a very common civilian where we, we really don't get it. We don't understand. We don't understand what our military brothers and sisters are going through, especially when they transition. So again, that opened up my eyes, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to be part of the solution. These are people that are sacrificing their life. They are, they are giving so so much, so much more than is common knowledge. And I want to be part of the solution. So that is why I'm part of this. I want to be part of the solution to help to get things changed for our military during transition, to get the power of the story out there. Thank you so much, Erin, for doing this. And to work you know, with William, the Veterans Crisis Outreach, get this conversation started even more and finding those gaps where our veterans are slipping through. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, as a civilian, did not realize how much I did not know or understand until I started talking to all these amazing people that you've put in front of me. And I've actually been able to take what I've learned in such a short, small time and actually apply it to what I do as a dispatcher and changing the perspective and the way that I respond to people who are veterans, who are having challenges and crises, because I understand a little bit more from where they're coming from. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity.
1: That's exciting. It's exciting to know that that is what happens when the conversation gets started. So, moving forward, I hear that
0: you and Sarah and some other people are working on a initiative to do more good. Can you explain that?
2: as Sarah mentioned, she and I met at a behavioral health hospital here in San Diego where she was interning, and I was working as a substance abuse counselor and At the time, I was working on the military wing as well as the youth wing and the open unit and and others. But that being said, she set in on a group with me and after that, we had a chat about it, and she told me she she said, "Wow, that was really powerful. That was, you know, thank you for letting me sit in." And I was like, "Well, what did you think about it?" And from what I can remember, Sarah was like, "I thought that was really impactful. I thought that was really helpful, and and I really liked how they were all talking, you know, with one another and with us. You know, they didn't seem like on edge." There's something about veterans talking with veterans that tends to grease the wheel if you will to get it moving you know to get that that ball rolling a little bit and it doesn't have to be a veteran but if anybody can be there for another person veteran or not I think it would be helpful now I do think that it it does help to have certain education and information and training and some resources and some support behind you to be able to really be there so Sarah and Joe and I, and I met Joe through Sarah because, as Sarah mentioned, she was holding vet nights at her house where she <laughs> opens up her home for crying out loud. <laughs> this lady opens her home. How how much more caring, compassionate, humble can you be to open up your own home to neighbors and strangers who you barely know? He said, come on over. I want to invite you to listen and know and learn about this guy and his, his experience because he's not the only military member transitioning from service and becoming a veteran. You know, and if this, this is one person where there's smoke, there's fire, there's other people going through something similar. So she opens up her home and we, we meet. And then afterwards, um, we, we, we talk a bit a few times here and there. And then we end up sitting down and talking about, well, what can be done? And as I've already mentioned, there's a lot of resources and stuff already going on in the community, but what we try to do was try to identify where are the gaps and what is really near and dear to our hearts and what is near and dear to our military and veteran community. Every time I turn around, I keep coming back to, you know, why is it that our veterans, so many of our veterans, are taking their own life? What is it? Why? why? And as somebody who has contemplated, contemplated, being better off dead or not around I feel like I have a pulse but I don't know the extent of it but I feel like I have a pulse as to what on earth could lead somebody to consider that and when I talk to a vet who's contemplated actually taking their own life or has tried or you you read a story about somebody who took their own life but they left a letter you can hear the pain you can hear the anguish you can hear like how they just wanted somebody to reach out to them and or they wanted another option. But for whatever reason, their blinders were on and they could not see or hear any other options than keep living status quo and enduring this pain and suffering or try something else and or take your own life. And for many people who cannot put two and two together in those kind of situations because the autonomic nervous system is in charge there. Biologically speaking, we are not always in our right state of mind when we are in a crisis situation because fight, flight, or freeze is active. It may not be profoundly active, but it is active. And so we may be only thinking about one solution or two solutions at at best. And that one solution might be Well, you know, if I'm no longer around, then by golly, it won't hurt as much. I won't have to deal with it as much. And what I want to do is, is, and what we want to do, is be able to be there for the vet who reaches out. And I am appalled. I am absolutely infuriated when I turn on the news. And I'm not talking about the news on TV, I'm talking about social media, I'm talking about VA reports, I'm talking about local media, but I'm appalled and very infuriated when I see a vet who has reached out for help, and they literally reached out to the one entity, the one entity that says our mission is caring for our vets, and then the next day, because they were refused or denied services, they go and take their own life. And I'll be honest, I have no other way to say it, but I am f-ing tired of it. And I'm willing to do what it takes to be there for my fellow veterans, regardless of whether our politicians or our VA administration or services, our community members are able to do it. I will do it. And I will do that with the help of Sarah and Joe and with our network that we're trying to build to be able to be there. Because I'm sick and tired of seeing my fellow brothers and sisters who served in combat or not I don't care you signed up during wartime and you served in support or not on the front lines or not you served when nobody else or other people were but not everybody signed up for it you served and you you deserve some dignity and you deserve some opportunity and not necessarily ahead of everybody else but you deserve some opportunity more than than you're given and to be refused services because you don't fit into some cookie cutter little box or you're not a deserving sick person or because your wound is invisible and it's hard to read or assess. That's bull to me. And now I'm getting mad, but, and now my passion's coming through. So I'm going to take a breath and you know, y'all go on and and continue doing the conversation, but I'm going to take a breath. I need a minute.
0: Okay. So Sarah, do you have anything to add about the outreach?
1: I, I, I think from, from my angle, I mean, you can hear how William is sharing. I think the way that I see it from my angle um, and all the stories and everything that I've learned in the last three years, I, I think the military is so trained to serve and you're outward focused and you've got, you know, all these things that you are doing. It's very focused. So when it comes time, to get the help that they need it's really hard for them to speak up and say you know what I need help and usually it gets to a point of crisis I think our our hope is that if we can keep this conversation going I mean there's so many civilians that that they're like me it's like oh you know if I had known this earlier I would be much more appreciative I would be much more aware I would be much more, not just a canned thank you for your service, but oh, how did you serve? I will never, as a civilian, I'll never understand what it was like to be in the military, to go through everything that people have gone through, just like William said, whether you've been involved in combat or not. In fact, some of the people that are having a really hard time too are the ones that have not been involved in combat because they feel even more that they don't have a voice that deserves to to tell their story and their hardship, which is, I think, really sad. That concerns me. So I think, again, as a civilian, I want to be part of the solution of really supporting our military, of really having a great appreciation for them, even though we will never really understand what it's like to be in the military. So if we get the conversation going, the support to normalize it, you know, I think that will just normalize it for the people that have served, that they'll really feel safe and just sharing like, man, my story is hard and my story is different than, you know, this man or woman's service. It's different, but it's it's still serving. And I, you know, for them to always be supported, I think is very important. Absolutely. Another thing I think that we're hoping to do is you can see what is happening with the power of the story. You know, just what you shared, Erin, about because you have been having these interviews with, you know, the different veterans, you were more empowered and um, you were given more tools to be able to deal with the veteran that you were talking with. And I think that's another thing that William, Joe, and I were talking about, that if we could even find you know, these, the groups like the San Diego Military Family Coalition or the San Diego uh, Veterans Coalition, where we could have these stories weekly on the website, where the power of that story can be told so that people who are still not ready to just say, hey, I need help, they can keep hearing other vet stories. And that it becomes so much more commonplace to hear the stories, the struggle, and the resilience, and what what groups are helping, and what nonprofits are doing this, and what, and where, and get the, the professionals on there to really give some great advice. So that's another thing that we're hoping hoping to, is to have something very consistent out there.
0: And I think that's amazing. And thank you, Sarah, so much for what you guys are doing.
2: Um, I'm back. I took a few took deep, deep breaths. breaths. Collected my thoughts. There's a couple um, of things I wanted to add, hopefully the message will be more clear. As I said, I am infuriated that vets, service members, family members, even family members are reaching out for assistance to entities, to organizations, but because we don't always fit in those cookie-cutter little boxes and we know exactly what we need, oftentimes we're getting turned away from somebody saying, yeah, we'll help you, you know, give us a call. And so at the Vet Crisis Outreach Initiative, what we want to do is, earlier I mentioned there's a lot of service providers and organizations here in San Diego. We want to create a process where community bystanders can get trained in how to help identify, help screen, help to hand off the case of a veteran who is in crisis. And we want to help get those bystanders employed to be able to do this. So think about it this way. You have a mission to go out and work with veterans and be there for veterans, right? Literally be there physically, like beside them if if need be, but be there for veterans. We want to have a hub where we have a team kind of assessing the cases and the situations that are coming in. And we have a team that's out on the field or out on the ground, if you will, who are attending events around the county, who are monitoring social media sites just to be watching for certain signs and symptoms, to be able to say, you know, flag that, hey, you might want to have somebody check in with this guy or gal. So that that way when they do reach out or before they need to reach out, someone's already kind of checking in with them, you know, just to say, hey, by the way, you know, I'm so and so with such and such or I'm so and so with the vet crisis outreach initiative. I was wondering if maybe I could chat with you a little bit and get to know them a little bit and start to build a relationship because the conversations, the fruit that comes out of those conversations is very valuable, and oftentimes vets are more likely to have a conversation than to tell you, "Hey, I need something," unless it's very dire. And by that time, why why wait until it's that bad? Why wait until your foot's falling off from gangrene before you go get seen? Why not go when it starts to set in? It first starts set in. But veterans sign up to serve. You know, service members sign up to serve and be of service to their family, their country, their community. And so we tend to just do what needs to be done and then worry about everything else later. And all too often that tends to put us in a position where things are worse than they actually would have been if we would have gotten attention for it in the first place or addressed it in the first place. So we want to help be there by training up and a supporting from from you know behind supporting a team of community upstanders or outreach specialists. Who can be present and go out and respond to co- phone calls from like a co-worker who says, hey, you know, the other day my veteran friend came in and he seemed fine. And then all of a sudden at lunch he started like, he started throwing things and started yelling and getting mad at stuff. And, you know, people do that. But when a vet does that and you know for a fact that that vet's been deployed and or that vet's dealing with PTS or TBI or whatever that vet's dealing with, you, you know that there's something else going on. And all too often, you don't want to call the cops. You don't want to call the police department to respond because they're law enforcement. They show up with good intentions, but they also show up with a weapon. And unfortunately, some of our community members who are sick, who are not in their right state of mind, end up dead. Some of them end up dead or worse because law enforcement responds because they're one of the only responders in the, in the, the area. And you don't want to not do anything about it, right? And you you maybe not you may not have their information to call their family, you know, and check in with their family. And if you do go say something, then you run the risk yourself of potentially jeopardizing your friendship or your relationship with that person. So rather than you go do it, we want to create a hub where we can filter cases or phone calls or or contacts into assess them for certain levels and then be able to send somebody to go and check in with that person and it may be over the phone it may be in person but whatever seems to work and i work in substance abuse prevention and i work with and uh, in intervention and i work with teens and young adults i have developed a practice where the family member, the concerned loved one can call me. They have my number. They can call me once they get my number and, and contact me. I will go into their home after screening for certain safety precautions and all that stuff in the situation, their home and work with them. And I have yet to have a family member say, you know what? You didn't help me at all. Every time I do, they're like, thank you so much for coming over. Thank you for providing us with the resources that you did. And they end up benefiting from it. Even if their loved one doesn't stop using immediately, they eventually come around to being more open to communicate with the family. They're, they're less uh, manipulative. They're less disrespectful. They're, they're easier to get along with. And eventually, their using behavior starts to change too, and or they stop, or they go to treatment. My goal is to get them to treatment. So with our vet crisis outreach, we would want to initially mostly get them to treatment. But you can't do that if you don't have a relationship with them. And somebody who's a co-worker, a spouse, a loved one, a sibling, a boss, you know, or even even people working at these veteran service providing organizations. Sometimes the organization isn't equipped to be able to respond. So maybe they, they could benefit from being able to call somebody like our team to be able to then go out and respond to their client who's suffering or who's dealing with some stuff. And they know their client's dealing with some stuff, yet they can't get them on the phone a lot of vets won't reach out on the phone but that's not to say that they won't talk it's to say that we signed up to serve we're not we're okay or we think we're okay and sometimes we're not and sometimes we need somebody to kind of see in us what we can't see in ourselves or show us what we can't see that's out there that's available and that's what the vet crisis outreach would be about, is to bring those things to the person, literally. I mean, I'm not not—I'm not saying, you know, yeah, we're going to call them and stuff. No, there may be a call involved, but no, I mean, literally bring it to them, like physically bring it to them. And when you go out and you see somebody living in their home and their setting, you get a real good snapshot of what's going on. You could have someone sitting on the phone on the other end of a call center telling you that they're, they're okay, but you know they're worried, they're concerned, blah, 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 they're un- they feel unsafe. Yet, when you go out and see them in their setting, because they invite you in, which sometimes they will because they know something's wrong, they know something's up, they just want to get help, but they don't know what that looks like. So when you go in, you might realize, oh, not only are they diabetic, but their feet are swollen. Well, no wonder they're not very mobile. And they may not have ever even mentioned that on the phone to you because they weren't even thinking about it. Cause they were talking to you about their issue with their car because you know, they lost some finances or they're on a fixed income and their car broke down and they need some help with their car. But by going out and see, you know, and being invited in and seeing them in their natural environment, you might learn a little bit more about them. And it's an opportunity for us to connect with them and build a relationship to then bridge that gap of that conversation from, okay, this is where you are. Now, where do you want to go? How can we help you get to where you want to go? How can we help you see some of those opportunities and reach those opportunities? And so that's what we're doing here in, in San Diego. And we have monthly steering committee meetings through the Vet Crisis Outreach Initiative. And we also have forums that we put on every every few months. It's, it's all not very formal. Right now, it is informal in the sense that we have our steering committees and we have an agenda that and an open discussion that we talk about things and we talk about what we're doing and what we're trying to do. And we're just trying to put it together. But regardless of where the vet crisis outreach goes, I'm going to still be there for my fellow vet. I'm still going to be there for my fellow brother and sister in arms and my community member, whether they're a vet or not. So anyway, so I just wanted to leave that you know, I am infuriated about what I see when a vet reaches out and then they're turned down or denied or refused services. But I use that to motivate me to get up and do something about it. And that's another thing that I think is very common in people and especially our service members. We are instilled when you see something, you do something because it could be the difference between life and death for you and your fellow platoon you know, or squad. So that that is what it is. That's where I'm at. And I appreciate you letting me have a few more minutes to kind of recollect my thoughts after I needed a break.
0: So, William, let's talk about what kind of resources are currently available for veterans and what are they lacking? What do they need more help with?
2: You know, um, I think Sarah really did hit the nail on the head with the hammer. Um, one of the things that really impairs anyone's ability to really thrive in life is to be able to provide for themselves In the society that we live in you have to have income you have to have money to be able to buy your food to be able to put a roof over your head to be able to put clothes on your back to raise a family to get an education you have to have money coming in you have to figure out a way to generate income to be able to do that and one of the things that i know we definitely see here in the san diego landscape is difficulty connecting the industries the jobs available the fields the professions and our veteran population who are very interested in working in those arenas you know but oftentimes when let me put it this way when i joined the marine corps i was actually 17 years old when i went to boot camp i had just turned 18 when I went to my training school for my job and everything um, in the Marine Corps it's called MOS, I was there for uh, almost nine months. When I got to the fleet, I was barely 19. I was just over 19 years old, and this was in 2003, going into 2004. So I'm 19 years old. It's 2004 we've already invaded Iraq right we did that in 2003 under President Bush and now I am in Japan stationed in Japan I don't know a whole lot about myself I know a little bit you know I don't know a whole lot about Japan I I'm, I'm learning stuff on the curb you know well then in 2006 I deploy to Iraq after getting re-stationed in Camp Pendleton California and my unit there so I deploy to Iraq And I'm there for 13 months and I come back and I'm 21 years old. It's 2007. And I just went through something that I was like, what the heck was that? You know, I just experienced something like, geez, um, can somebody help me make sense of some of this stuff that we saw and we did, and it, and it happened. And afterwards I ended up, Discharging from the Marine Corps, kind of bittersweet, but that's another story. But I discharged from the Marine Corps in, in December of 2007. And when I discharged, I had went through a one-week class that said, "Okay, help build your resume, get ready because you're going to transition." And oh, by the way, these are some resources that are available here should you stay in this area. And I transitioned from Camp Pendleton, California, in 2007. And all this, all the information that I was supposed to need to transition successfully was condensed into a one-week little seminar. It was so strict for me and others going that I had to check in with my sergeant, um, my, my platoon sergeant, when I got there and when I left to make sure that I was doing going to my appointed place of duty. And the fact of the matter is, it really didn't equip me with what I needed to be able to make a successful transition. For everything that I learned, I literally had to go and learn and I had to I had to experience and I had to literally beat my head against the wall uh, to learn a lot of things. All of this while I'm still dealing with these cognitive issues that I still deal with today. I don't sleep good most of the time. I have a hard time really relating with others even though people might tell you that I'm really friendly and outgoing. I consider myself an outgoing introvert. I have intrusive memories a lot, you know, struggle with depression. I've struggled with my own addictions, been in recovery for over 10 years now. But I was not equipped in a one week class to be able to transition. And so I'm glad that you're doing this and that Sarah and I are on this conversation and that some of our friends here in San Diego are going to be sitting down and interviewing with you to really talk about that transition piece and talk about what could be done because I didn't feel prepared and so when I was 22 and I transitioned, all the rest of my peers were going to college while I was at war and serving in the Marine Corps they were having kids they were buying homes they were still doing the same old shit that they used to do just a different day you know so so there was a very different perspective on being an adult for me compared to some of my peers Some of them had a head start. They had already gotten into a career where I hadn't even because I had went off and served and came back, you know, so and then I'm like, okay, well, I can use my GI Bill and get an education. Just because you get an education does not mean that you can get a job. (laughs) Let me just put that out there. So I don't want to get too far on a soapbox, but I just want to lay that out there that we're not always equipped to transition successfully. Sarah is right. We have a boot camp. We have a transition period into the military. They train you physically. They train you mentally, and they train you spiritually. And and as best they can, they pound into you those core values, honor, courage, commitment, improvise, adapt, overcome, be a leader don't wait around for someone to step up and say okay we need to do something now get in there and get your hands dirty and do something so here in San Diego I just want to point out a few resources that are available to our vets and vet families and I hope other communities are doing something similar and if they're not I hope they pick up the ball and they're ready to run with it but nationally speaking we have the Veterans crisis, Out- uh, veteran crisis Line, and that's 1-800-273-8255. Anyone with any kind of military or veteran connection can call that number. Anytime you think you're suffering and you're a service member, a veteran, or a family member, you can call that number. If you know of a veteran who's suffering, who is in a crisis, you can call that number on their behalf to get guidance on how to talk to them and how to interact with them and how to work with them should you need to. Or should you feel like it'd be helpful? Because I guarantee you it'd be helpful. Pick up the phone, call the number. Then, you know, nationally, we also have vet centers. And that came out of Shad. Thank you, Shad, for your work around getting the vet center started. And vet centers are for combat-specific veterans or veterans who have endured a military sexual trauma. They can go and get mental health counseling and mental health services at these outpatient clinics that are more spread out than VA hospitals and so they can go to these and get some mental health services and treatment and care and therapy. but it's specific to our veterans who were deployed and or our veterans who haven't experienced military sexual trauma. It's not open to all veterans and let me let me mention one thing while I'm while I'm on this topic. The veteran who went to combat and came back is not the only veteran who suffers or lives with a traumatic experience. There's a thing in psychology we call secondary trauma, and secondary trauma is picking up the traumatic experience and symptoms from the person or people who have also lived that direct trauma. And so those people who are in support, who are serving in the military while those other service members are going to combat and coming back, experience a certain level of trauma as well because they hear the stories, they see them not sleeping good, they see them over drinking or using drugs or whatever it is their you know, pill of choice is. They see the symptoms, they see them isolating, they hear the stories, like I said, they hear the horrific things that some of us had to see or do or be a part of, knowing that, wow, was this even justified? Did we even need to do all that? You know. So secondary trauma also needs to be treated and also needs to be addressed and I don't think that's being addressed for our service members who serve in the military who are more in support roles. And so, But I do want to identify that vet centers are very good at helping vets address their mental health condition and help them to learn how to manage their therapies and stuff and their outpatient clinics. Here specifically in San Diego. We have what's known as 211 San Diego, and they have partnered with VVSD, Veterans Village of San Diego, which is a transitional homeless veteran living facility that helps homeless vets transition. Then they also partnered with MHS, Mental Health Systems, and Mental Health Systems is a big group here in San Diego, a big organization here in San Diego that provides a lot of mental health and behavioral health services to a wide variety of clients in the community. So between 211, VVSD, and mental health systems, they come together and and make up Courage to Call. Courage to Call is a hotline where if you're a service member, if you're a veteran, or you're a family member, you can call and you can get direct connections to service providers out in the community who are providing services around social services or resources around social services. That's food housing, clothing, shelter, some some financial support, some mental health counseling. It's really great how they've all come together and put this in one place under one roof so that service members, our veterans and their families can get out there and get that information. And I also say this because some people are under the misconception that they can't call. If you are not a veteran yourself and you're not a family member yourself, but you know of a veteran who you're living with, working with, friends with, co-working with, cohabitating with, whatever, you can call Courage to Call too and ask them for some assistance. You don't have to be the vet or the service member yourself. And in addition to those, we have the SDVC and we have VCC and we have the SDMFC. The SDVC is the San Diego Veterans Coalition. It is a collaboration of organizations. It is an organization of organizations that seeks to inspire collaboration amongst all those service providers and resources here in the San Diego County region to come together, get under one big tent, and say okay how can we work together so that we can share resources or help others get resources and make sure that the clients we're trying to serve are served in a good way. And so that way we can maximize our impact. And I serve on that board as the student veteran representative currently, voluntarily too. Then you have Vets Community Connections, which is kind of like the icing on the cake. All those things that Courage to Call or 2 don't provide, VCC helps to provide through businesses. Because there's a lot of people in the community, a lot of businesses in the community who want to give back to the military and veteran community. And so they help facilitate those connections. When a company says, hey, we want to hire 10 vets next year, how can we hire 10 vets? They can contact VCC and VCC can help help vets transition into those jobs, help build them into those jobs, so, so long as they meet the criteria for the job and everything, you know, so to say. Also, VCC, let's say a business, a tire shop wants to offer a discount to a veteran. They can call VCC and get in the network. And then when a veteran calls in and says, hey, you know, I just blew my tire on my car. You guys got anybody in your, you know, in your database? VCC says, oh, yeah, by the way, we got two tire shops, one here in this area, one here in this area. They're offering discounts to veterans. And the veteran might be like, well, sure, I'll go there. So then VCC can offer that to the veteran. So now the client, if you will, or the individual military uh, service member, veteran, or family member is benefiting directly from – things that the community is trying to offer. And last but not least you have the STMFC, the San Diego Military Family Collaborative is another organization of organizations and individuals and what they try to do is inspire collaboration also but they try to get those peoples together and those entities together to work together to maximize the impact specifically focused on our military families here in San Diego. Now, earlier I mentioned that in San Diego, over 250 residents call themselves veterans or are veterans. At any given time here in San Diego County, there is at least 115,000 military personnel. That's active duty, National Guard, Reserve, and so on, military personnel. At any given time, it's estimated that there's 100, about 115,000, right, kind of weird how it's a correlation there, same number, but about 115,000 military family members, act, not active duty necessarily, but active duty National Guardsmen and Reserve family members of those 115,000 military personnel here in San Diego County. So we have a large military and veteran population and community here in San Diego alone. And we're trying to do the best we can with what we have. But you know what? You cannot get a, you cannot get juice out of a turnip. And if you could, I don't know if you'd want to drink it. Because if the service doesn't exist, then, then some entities are in place, like the county health and human services agency and live well San Diego are working to try to encourage opportunities and groups and, and communities to come together to address that you know, um, through incentivizing. Anyways, that's a little bit about what's, what's out there, a little bit about, you know, more in depth, but I'm really looking forward to seeing and hearing our colleagues and our friends come on here and talk. Like for instance, Stephen Padilla with the Headstrong Project. The Headstrong Project offers free mental health counseling to any veteran, service member, or family member at any given time. All the person has to do is call the Headstrong Project, and it's free. It's absolutely free to the the, the the caller, to the person looking for the services. It's actually it's absolutely free. They have a fund that they get donations, and then they pay providers. They pay they pay therapists and clinicians to be able to provide those services to our military and veteran community. But just because we're getting and we being service members, veterans, and family members get, are getting those mental health services does not mean that the buck stops there. No. Like I said earlier, we need a way to provide for ourselves. We need income. We need good housing. The average or median price of a home here in San Diego right now is 619000 Well, if you're looking at the average wage that someone coming out of college with a four-year degree makes, it's about 30000 how you tell me, how are you going to be able to afford after using your GI bill, go get a four year degree and get out of college and maybe make 30 grand a year. How are you going to afford a $619,000 mortgage? I just don't compute to me, but yet we somehow expect them to be able to do it. And we tell them, yeah, the education's what's going to get you there. And I have a lot of veterans who were also post nine eleven veterans and non post nine eleven veterans, other era veterans who are couch surfing, living on couches. They're not totally homeless, but they're not housed either. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, with regards to resources, is here in San Diego, the, the city of San Diego, through Mayor Faulkner's office, has set up what we know as bridges. And they're, they're big housing tents for transitional housing to help get homeless vets off the street, get them some social services, get them some, 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 uh, some benefits going, get them some things hooked, get them hooked up with some things. So that way they can hopefully transition off the street. So they're not living on the street. And there's also that there's one for veterans specifically. And then there's also one for our homeless population here in San Diego, because our homeless population here in San Diego is actually pretty high as well. Um, the last point in time count pointed where I think, a little over 11,000 or 12,000 total homeless individuals. It's, it's a very complex issue. How do we how do we help? How do we be there? But you know what? Sarah and Joe and I have have the heart. We have had the heart from the very beginning. It's what brought us together, and we're willing to give it a shot. We're willing to go out there and give it a damn good shot to try to do something so that, one, they know they're not alone. Two, that there's some opportunities out there available to them. They might not see it or, or know about it, so we try to bring that so that it can hopefully instill some hope. And number three, you know, just be there for each other. You know, Just be around for each other so that they know they're not alone. Anyways, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs>
0: You're perfectly fine. I love your passion. I wish more people had it.
2: <laughs> so that's just—I ain't even got to the half of it yet.
0: <laughs> I'll let you loose.
2: <laughs> I'll go all day. But anyway,s yeah.
0: So, if we're interested in finding out more information and maybe getting involved and in, and in helping you guys out, how do we get involved?
1: Okay, so right now we have my email address. You can email me at. Sarah K. Correll, S-A-R-A-K-C-O-R-R-E-L-L at gmail.com. And as we find our way through, you know, really finding where the gaps are and we get more solid in, in a nonprofit, just email me and then I'll put you on our list and I'll let you know everything that's happening and we'll keep you in the loop. Awesome. And Sarah, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, just keep being aware and appreciating our military. And William, is there any closing thoughts you'd like to leave us
0: with?
2: Yeah, um, a couple of thoughts come to mind. So number one, anytime I am, you know, thinking about others, thinking about what can be done, it always takes me back to the quote by Gandhi be the change you want to see in the world and so I would encourage anyone that is wanting to do for others work with others be a part of you know to consider just being the change you want to see in the world not expecting the world to change because of you but try to adapt to your world try to adapt the best you can to your environment to help build your own resiliency because sometimes the world is not going to change immediately However, when there's enough people around you that are experiencing the exact same struggle, then maybe those are the people we want to seek out when we're trying to initiate change to work with because they're having a similar experience. And when, when thoughtful people, when committed people come together, they can change. They can change parts of the world that are not changing on their own for the betterment of the world, for the betterment of the world. And so the last thing that I would like to, 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 to round out with is with our Veteran Crisis Outreach Initiative Network, we've actually been able to facilitate some opportunities and some help already for vets in the community who were connected or not connected to service providers uh, and or not connected to the community or the family. And we've already been able to help facilitate connections to some of those services that are more fitting to their needs. Just because people heard what we were doing and they said, hey, I got a vet blank and we have been able to help facilitate some of those connections that that vet wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Just because we started having conversations. So when Sarah talks about the power of the story, the power of the story is real. And the conversations that come up are valuable. And I would just encourage everyone to have a conversation. And yesterday was day 693. Today is day 694 for me. Every day I do 22 push-ups, not to stay fit, even though it does help, but because it reminds me that every day on average 20 plus veterans take their own life and it reminds me to be there just to be there and be present be aware and be ready should I be called upon to be of service to be ready and so those 22 pushups when I do those I do them in the morning I do them in the evening I do them with friends I do them with fellow vets I do them all over the place. Um, you can check out my Facebook page you'll see them from last year on so every day I do 22 push-ups and for 694 days now I've been doing 22 push-ups to remind me to be there and be ready for others and that's the message that I think I would really want people to to leave with is have a conversation and be there for somebody you never know what you're gonna learn and you never know what kind of exciting, you know, opportunity or thrill or, you know, new piece of information comes out of that conversation with that other person. And if you know a vet or if you are a vet, you know, reach out to another one and say, hey, hope you're doing all right. If you ever need anything, let me know. And by the way, I live over here and I like to go here, you know, for dinner or something and then, you know, maybe invite them out. Some, some, some of us like to eat dinner. Some of us don't. Whatever.
0: <laughs> what about Brenner? Breakfast for dinner
2: uh oh no brunch it's all about the brunch yeah yeah, the brunch. yeah it's all about the brunch but Brenner's not bad either
0: yeah <laughs> so William I love the idea for the 22 push-ups a day yeah and I think me and my family are going to start doing that
2: oh oh are we Facebook friends
0: oh uh, we sh- we're not Facebook friends but we, we should,
2: should be, be we should be Facebook friends I will i the next time I do my 22 which will be tomorrow morning I can um I can ask you to do your 22 for 22 days. So a lot of people do them for 22 days and then they stop after they've nominated some people to do them because it's about bringing awareness. Mm-hmm. I think by now a lot of people know about it. But what, the, what I've found is that if I keep doing it, then it keeps the message alive for me and it keeps the energy alive. So then that way I'm continuing to to proceed, you know, and go on mm-hmm. and, and be there. So, yeah, I can do that. I can get you on Facebook and then um, send you a challenge to do 22 for 22.
0: Awesome. Hey, Sarah, are you in?
1: I was just thinking that. <laughs> I thought, oh, man, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes, count me in.
0: Okay, so we're all going to be doing 22 push-ups. I want to do it more than 22 days, though.
2: Okay. okay. All right.
0: Let's just try. Just
2: curious, can you do a push up
0: on my knees? Do okay. Do those count? All
2: right. Absolutely.
1: I go on my knees too. Okay,
0: yeah. Sarah. I got you, girl.
2: And I just want to be clear about something. I didn't ask because you're a woman. I asked just because you never know. I've I've had friends that are guys that can't do a push up, so.
0: It's the progression, right? <laughs> yes. At least you try.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've I've had had I've had family family members members get involved involved and do it. it. Um, My wife, she can do do three now now? in a row all the way down and up. up. So So, she's yeah, she's come come a long way way too. too. That's awesome.
0: I'm excited. Let's do this. All right, sounds okay. good. Well, thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited about the opportunity to talk about the subject at hand. It's not nice, it's not comfortable, and it's not supposed to be. But I think the more that we talk about it, we get the conversation open and honest and authentic, the more that we have the opportunity to really help people. So thank you. I agree. Absolutely. Thank you, Aaron.
2: You're You're very welcome. And thank you so much for what you do and for inviting us on. And and coordinating it.
0: Oh, that was all Sarah.
1: (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Erin. You gave us the platform.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Please go to the episode page at youroxygenmaskfirst.com to learn more about these amazing organizations that are doing so much good for veterans and their families.